Hello, welcome to Season 6 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast. My name is Laura Evans, and I am a writer, deep listener, and disillusioned environmental lawyer living in western New York. Season 6 of the Keeping Things Alive podcast is here to explore the opportunities and challenges for human beings as we all live together on this beautiful, harsh, and interconnected planet Earth. This season, we are going to pay special attention to the healing properties of plants, the legalization of cannabis in New York State, tarot, and what is going on with the police in Erie County. Okay, so welcome to the first episode of what I'm calling a information collage, and I'm planning on publishing this once a month, so right now we're in May 2021, and I, yeah, I'm here right now with John Washington, we're about to cover one topic. And so the idea of an information collage is to, I've been recording about 10 minutes with different people who have something to say, some story or piece of information to share, and I'm putting it all together and I'm going to do this once a month. So the topic that John and I are going to talk about, as well as um, a few other people in the future is that New York State uh, this year just legalized uh, recreational cannabis for adults. And so, yeah, I want to include about 10 minutes of information every month that is something related to either like the properties of the cannabis plant, what industrial hemp is, uh, CBD, those types of things. And then also like right, what we're going to do today is uh, talk a little bit about the actual law. Uh, so yeah, just uh, different pieces in and around uh, this brand new uh, world and culture that has been here, you know, for a long time, but is now getting uh, publicly, uh, I don't know, allowed <laughs> or something. So John, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and then I want you to, yeah, talk about your thoughts about this new law. Uh, yeah, my name is uh, John Washington. And um, I have been working on cannabis legalization for a while. Um, I think that it is a really interesting, important opportunity and moment in time. Um, So, you know, Crystal People Stokes for years has been leading the charge in trying to get marijuana legalized in New York State, along with Liz Krueger in the New York State Assembly. Yeah, they're both uh, legislators. Yeah, so Crystal People Stokes is the representative for most of Buffalo um, in the New York State Assembly, uh, and she is the Assembly Majority Leader, and Liz Krueger uh, represents Brooklyn in the Senate, uh, and they produced the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation Act. Uh, somewhere around 2014, 2015, have been fighting for it since. Um, this year it passed after, um, you know, years of deal cutting and work to kind of figure out how to fight for equity to be a part of it. Um, and so now it is legal for people to possess uh, three ounces of marijuana to grow, I believe, well, six plants. Yeah, I think so. Um, and um, pretty much, you know, even smoking uh, anywhere where it's legal to smoke cigarettes. Um, so these are, you know, major sweeping changes, uh, to New York state law. Uh, and I think that, um, you know, they will do an enormous amount to keep people out of prison. Although I do believe like police and the systems that, uh, they operate are still racist and will still incarcerate a lot of people. This will be moved as a pretext, and most people know, like, you know, the smell of marijuana, smoking in public, stop and frisk have been all things that, you know, people have been fighting back against for 
really since since the late 60s when marijuana became like hyper criminalized. Um, and so now we're moving into a stage where it is legal, which has enormous benefits of people not getting arrested, but also creates this new market and this new business, whole new business world uh, that will become a new field of struggle for people to fight for power and place in to make sure that there are some people um, who have been previously incarcerated or impacted by this that actually benefit. And I think the law um, lays out a planning process uh, to get there, um, which, you know, is, I think, as good as we've seen so far. And also, um, there are plenty of people who are already really well set up to take advantage of this opportunity. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how the transition uh, from illegal to legal uh, impacts uh, people of color, especially uh, as we've seen in other states where the criminalization continues because um, the illegal market is now even more illegal or illegal in a different way uh, than it was before and the legal market's um, dominance and how that like actually builds wealth and impacts communities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I think I've been thinking a lot about like this case, I forget how long ago this was passed, maybe like March or April, something like that, but it was a big deal and everyone's really excited about it. April 20th is like a, you know, national like cannabis holiday. And so, um, yeah, I, uh, like I've seen a lot of excitement about it, but at the same time, like this is like an example of environmental law again, you know, like a law has been passed, um, but now everybody is waiting for the, I think it's the New York Cannabis Regulatory Agency. I forget, I was looking it up yesterday. Like they have to now make rules and regulations and this social and economic equity component. They're also now there's people that are getting formed to create some sort of like equity task force. And they're going to come up with, how to decide who gets what licenses and who qualifies as a social equity applicant. So I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about where that is going to go or either like opportunities to maybe like, I think there are going to be some public comment opportunities, but like, yeah, what is this? I don't know. It'll be an interesting process. Um, well, I think it'll be a political process. And mm, so like yeah. it's gatekeeping at the end of the day, there's still going to be a limited number of licenses and they'll, will be a limited number of them for the populations who, who need it most. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yes, it will help. Um, but at the same time, we've seen this with um, the MWBE laws and yeah. with like le legalized discrimination before that um, there still is levels of, of you know, class and, and other types of privilege that allow people to to take full advantage of it. A perfect example is, you know, Rocco Termini is working with a California group and, you know, two years ago was allowed to build a, a marijuana factory uh, with state subsidies. Mm -hmm. um, so there are already people who've like hit the ground running and are ready to go. And the, the hard part is that like, not only do people have to like fill out these applications and make it through this bureaucracy, they have to actually be able to be ready to do business in the cannabis world right. and so the average person production and distribution um you know in in the illegal market um are are really not like thoughts right it's more it's more about like 
your clientele, your people, and like who who you do business with. And yeah. so now that there'll be all of these alternatives, um, most the average person who sold weed mm-hmm. is not ready to scale up, is not ready to meet government standards. And it also with marijuana, there's no lending mm-hmm. whatsoever. So right. it means that like if you want to start a business, you have to have straight cash. As, as uh, Randy Moss would say, you, you have to have the money to do it. Mm-hmm. And so there, there are these possibilities and potentials and there's lots of barriers and there's lots of groups of people who are now trying to figure out how to fund and support um, people to do this. And so it's like, it's a new phase in wrestling with the problem and the issue. And I think, you know, New York state has set itself up to do better than other places, but a lot of that is, is on all of us to like figure out. Right. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sitting here trying to scroll through a 128 page law that's single spaced. And I was looking, I'm trying to find, uh, there's a number of different kinds of licenses. So something I've been finding when I talk to people is like, they think about the licenses to be a dispensary and like selling marijuana directly to consumers. And then you also think about the people that are growing it. Uh, and that's interesting that you're talking about people who've had a leg up. Um, something I learned about recently is that in 2014, the U.S. Farm Bill uh, allowed for a lot of different farmers, like in this area and across the country, to start doing like experiments with growing industrial hemp, which is the same type of plant as cannabis. I think we'll get more into that, but. Um, yeah, they've already had a lot of experience since 2014 about how to grow it. So those are, yeah, the growing and the selling, but then there's all the other parts in between, like the packaging, there's an opportunity to have like lounges or something like that, consumption spaces. Um, there's, yeah, like you're making things with like the waste products and yeah, so there's a lot of different like places that you can be in the market. And I think a lot of people don't even understand that those are possibilities but then there are people who do do and have known for a long time and yeah that's an equity it's just an interesting moment also like politically to watch market making and i think most people don't see how much the government dictates what private markets and what corporations do because we look at them from like the end results of like what we consume when everything's already set up. And so this is an opportunity to see like how that's how a market is made. And I think one of the most important things will be how the illegal market is regulated and what law enforcement's role in that is Mm -hmm. because it will dictate how important it is to have a license and to be a part of the legal process. Mm -hmm. And Colorado that has been brutal at times. So has it been in, in, in California? and I'm sure other states that I haven't heard about but I think that will be the key and then and then all of our consumption behaviors Mm -hmm. do people want mass scale produced marijuana uh, or um, McDonald's marijuana some or Walmart Mm -hmm. weed as some people say Mm -hmm. or do people like the the culture of like purchasing it from people they know with strains that they know mm-hmm. in, in a particular way and so we'll see how all of that plays out and it'll play out different ways for different people and I think um, yeah I, I just I think that this is the greatest potential that we have for justice but there's still a long way forward Thanks, John. Okay, so coming up for the rest of the episode, I'm just going to say everyone right now and then you'll hear them in sequence. But the first person you will hear from is Sarah Sorcy, who is the owner of Sweet Flag Herbs. And she's going to talk about the um, edible and medicinal properties of a plant that's found all over backyards and places, parks in western New York called Self Heal. 
followed by Eva Danielle. She is the tarot reader at Inspiration Point, and she talks about the Fool card, which is the first uh, card in the tarot deck. And finally, the last two people that you will hear from, their names are David and Kenny, and they are sharing a story of their experiences with the police in Western New York. And David is a part of the Erie County Sheriff's uh, race campaign for Miles Carter, who, yeah, is running for sheriff this year. And there's a primary coming up in June. And so we're going to just continue to talk about people's experiences with the police here. And yeah, so I, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing how these all play out. I plan on, yeah, talking to people about cannabis, herbs, tarot, and police once a month until November. And so, yeah, looking forward to hearing how it all plays out. Thank you. All right. Hi, Sarah. It's good to see you. Um, I'm really happy that you're here. And yeah, can you just say a little bit about yourself and yeah, how you've been on this podcast before? And then yeah, we're going to talk about like a particular plant today. So yeah. Yeah, (laughs) great to be here. Um, I'm Sarah Sorcy. I own Sweet Flag Herbs, which right now we're located in uh, Chautauqua County and uh, teach some local herbal classes about herb gardening, medicine making, uh, wild plants and foraging, and have been delighted to be on the show before talking about these topics. Um, We were checking out some Western New York plants today, and we uh, stumbled across some self-heal, which we're going to... Yeah, yeah. I want want you to talk about self-heal. I guess we should do like a little bit of context for where we are. I know we talked about that before. So um, yeah, we just spent time walking around um, this like wooded wetland area. Um, Yeah, if you just want to kind of set the stage for self-heal and like where it was found and yeah then just give us a little lesson in (laughs) self-heal yeah so I love this little wild plant because folks who have a lawn anywhere nearby or like a park have probably seen it a lot Um, we did see it in a more wooded area where it's not being mowed and it looks quite different when it can grow up and not be cut down every few weeks Um, usually, you know, I grew up seeing it in my parents' backyard and it's, um, it's a mint family plant. So mint plants have square stems, opposite leaves. And I remember this plant as a kid because it had these flower clusters that kind of reminded me of a little, uh, bumblebee, like kind of a dense flower cluster with these little purple flowers going around it. And, um, The plant we saw today had much longer leaves than I normally see. The plants in the lawn usually just look a lot more compact, um, and it can be pretty difficult to even tell that they have square stems. It's not one of the more obvious mints. Okay. Um, So, yeah. So that's one thing I love about it. You can find it in all kinds of environments. Yeah, I've seen it a couple of places, yeah, around here, like in lawns. And then also I remember, yeah, in in the city of Buffalo, a lot of parks. But yeah, that like the purple flowers and like kind of this almost like beehive cone looking thing. And I'll definitely put a picture of it 
like on online and things like that but yeah um nice yeah you described it really well and yeah mints they grow really like prolifically right so a lot of times when you see it that you see a lot of it uh in different places exactly Yeah. yeah the plants that tend to do well in lawns um often the weeds that grow there are non-native um Things like dandelion and plantain are other edibles that, um, you know, didn't necessarily evolve here, but they adapted really well to the American lawn. So, right. Yeah, they kind of see them all over. Okay, cool. So, can you, yeah, so tell me a little more about Self Heal. Um, I guess how, yeah, the different properties of it. Is it edible, medicinal? Uh, how would yeah. you eat it or use it as medicine? Yeah, so um, all of the above and um, self-heal, it's also called Heal All, uh, Prunella vulgaris is the scientific name. And um, so it's one of my favorite wild edibles, first of all, because the leaves are tender and very mild flavored. So I think of it as kind of a spinach substitute. And the larger leaves we saw in the woods are nicer to use because you just get more out of it if the plant can get a little bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, But you can absolutely use uh, leaves and stems and flowers from an unsprayed, untreated lawn too. I was going to say that really quickly because, yeah, you're the first person I'm talking to about about plants in this way. I mean, I know we've talked about it in previous seasons, but yeah, you have to be careful about uh, the environment that it's being grown in. So if you do eat it, you want to make sure that, yeah, your lawn isn't sprayed, you're not near any sort of chemicals, or even like, you know, when you look at Western New York, there's like a history of industrial pollution, so and that stays in the soil. So yeah, I guess I kind of covered it but can you add to more of that like what do you have to look for before you just go find the self heal and shove it in your mouth yeah it's something I love about foraging is it's a great opportunity to learn more about the little environment where we live and be informed about what's going on as far as like as you said like local industrial activity or you know what was that what did that park what was it used for before it was turned into a park like is was it a landfill or, you know, there's all kinds of um, uses that of places that get turned into parks eventually. So, yeah, um, as far as backyards go, the chemicals that we put down now tend to not stay in the soil as long as the ones we used like decades ago. Um, okay. So for me, you know, everybody has their own comfort level, especially with kind of the lack of testing that we have, mm-hmm. like for this kind of thing, like knowing how much of that whatever lawn chemical was applied, how much is actually still in the soil or in the plants. But I feel like for me, after three years, um, I would feel okay about um, eating okay. things from there. And that's a personal you know, just feeling after reading. Different people might have different kind of rules for themselves about that. Okay. Um, so yeah, so as far as edible, um, uses go, you can throw self-heal into cooking like you would use spinach. Um, Mm -hmm. you can also make tea out of it. And if I'm picking the flowers along with the leaves, that chunky flower head is not the most delicious, you know, it's not like the best texture in my opinion right. for like a salad or something. Yeah. So I would rather just like throw that into tea because I'm going to strain it out anyway. Oh, okay. Um, and it's very nutritious. So 
these wild weedy plants are often a lot more nutritious than the lettuce and the um, vegetables that we're buying from the grocery store because they haven't been bred for shipability and mild flavor. Um, so yeah, super high nutritional content. And, um, so besides the edibility and deliciousness, I can quickly share some medicinal uses too. Yeah. Yeah. That would be perfect. Yep. You're um, right. Yeah, you're doing great. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll first mention topical uses. Um, mm-hmm. We were talking about um, what plants we saw today would be good for making kind of like a woodland salve, um, plants that we could infuse into oil and then add some beeswax to yeah. make like a topical salve. Self-heal is top of my list. And the reason for that is that it is both mildly astringent mm-hmm. with tannins that help to tighten and tone tissue, just like witch hazel, mm-hmm. like a toner. Yeah. Um, and it also is a bit mucilaginous, like aloe. So it has this like just a bit of like a slimy component that helps to um, retain moisture on okay. tissue and that helps with healing. Um so when you put those two qualities together in the same plant, there's just like really wonderful support for the skin. Yeah. Um, so you could, as we said, you know, you could infuse that into oil and um, you could also, let's say you had like a sunburn or um, you're recovering from poison ivy or something. Mm-hmm. Maybe you would want to make a tea in that case, something more cooling than like an oil that's going to like be a little heavier yeah um you could apply like a cool washcloth with the um, self-heal tea to like a sunburn yeah um and you can also use self-heal as an eye wash so if somebody has like a sty or eye inflammation Mm. um it is something that you could also you know dip in a washcloth and apply it Mm. to your eye and just kind of relax with it does so. it work on dogs? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, actually. Okay. <laughs> I tend to be really careful with veterinary recommendations because sometimes I'm surprised by the things that like dogs shouldn't eat. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no, you're yeah. right. You're mm-hmm. right. Well, yeah, I have a dog with a sore eye right now, so yeah. personal self-interest, but okay. It yeah, probably be fine. But, Got it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks, Sarah. We're, yeah, kind of coming to this end. So any uh, parting thoughts about self-heal and medicinal plants in western New York yeah I'll just say um you know internally self-heal you know it has immune supportive properties um and yeah there's just so much more to say about any herb and I'm glad that we could really touch on I think that you know a plant being edible is like the easiest door to get into getting familiar and comfortable with it so I'm glad we got to focus on that yeah thanks Sarah Have a good day, and I'll talk to you soon. You too. Thanks. All right. So, hi, Eva. Welcome to, yeah, the Keeping Things Live podcast. Hey, Laura. Thank you. Yeah. um, So, just real quick, if you could introduce yourself and tell us what you're going to be talking about today. Sure. Um, I'm Eva, or Eva Danielle. Um, I'm a tarot reader. I have been reading tarot at Inspiration Point Buffalo for going on six years now, and we're going to be chatting about a tarot card. Yeah, I'm excited to do this. So yeah, this is like a brand new idea for this season, but to try to like explain one thing 
with other people explaining other things once a month. And so I wanted to do, yeah, one tarot card a month. So, and yeah, I'm excited about the one that you chose because yeah, this is the one that you've taught me the most about. So yeah, if you want to take it away and see how much I have to add, but you, you definitely, yeah, go for it. All right. We're going to be chatting about tarot card number zero, the fool. (laughs) Zero. Yeah. Um, and I have two fool cards with us right now. Um, one is from the Rider Waite deck. Yeah, and it's like the, other, the classic. The classic. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the most popular deck in the United States, I would say. Um, and the one that kind of populi- popularized tarot mm-hmm. um, in the United States. And then the second is from the Modern Witch deck, which is my current favorite deck to work mm-hmm. with. Um, And I've actually started doing readings here at the shop with it. Yeah, Um, I'm super grateful for you for sharing this one with me. Yeah, it's a great deck. And it's based on the Rider Waite. Um, So that's very cool because I think that there is some magic to the Rider Waite deck, but it's nice to have something more inclusive with the Modern Witch. And that reflects like more... I feel like the world I live in, mm-hmm. I feel like the Modern Witch deck is cool because all the different cards, I get the vibe. I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that person. Yeah. So. Whereas in the original, it's like, yeah, that person lived a couple hundred years ago and does, is not related to my Yeah, life. like yeah. they got a weird dress. Was that normal? Is that a conservative look? We don't know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So um, the full card, though, I was thinking about this in preparation for our talk and... Every card in the tarot represents these moments that happen either inside of us or outside of us. Um, They're a reflection of the present. And I like to think of the tarot like a story. So we have all these different elements of a story, these moments of a story Mm -hmm. that we can shuffle and make into new stories every time. Um, So the full card is cool because it is not so much where the story begins, but like the seed, the story grows out of, um, Mm -hmm. the story hasn't even begun yet Mm -hmm. with the fool. Um, and And the zero is kind of like a little seed. I know. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Yeah. The zero is like a little seed. We can just imagine planting it. Yeah. And there's sort of endless potential and possibility in the fool. Mm. And, with the fool, I like to think about sort of a really practical side to the card and then what it can mean on a deeper level or in our inner worlds. Mm. Um, so what the fool is going to represent in a really practical sense is just like leaps of faith, taking chances. Mm-hmm. And there are chances that don't add up. They might not look good on paper. <laughs> telling anyone else about these risks you're going to take they might say you're insane bad idea Mm -hmm. um and with the fool we take the risk anyway yeah and it's either faith or folly that leads us off the cliff Mm. um so folly is here in the modern witch tarot i like it she's sort of got her phone yeah she's listening to music she's looking somewhere else dancing in the sun going Mm -hmm. right off the cliff Mm -hmm. with Um, her dog yeah yes i've almost been hit by cars a couple times this way (laughs) we've all been there yeah yeah (laughs) 
So, so that can kind of be folly. You know, she's just not paying attention, makes a dumb mistake, ends up off the side of the cliff. Mm-hmm. Um, the faith aspect would be more like she's totally aware that the cliff is there, mm. trusts in whatever forces are guiding her, and is just joyfully taking the leap off. Mm-hmm. The cool thing with the fools, it doesn't matter which way we do it. Right, right. <laughs> it, it can be like sort of just we're being a little dumb or we can have this deep faith. Either way, we're taking a huge plunge that leads us into new possibilities that before we took this leap were unimag- unimaginable. Mm. So in our lives, in a practical sense, this could be like, you know, oh, I just want to pack up and move to California and I'm going to leave tonight. Or it could be like, oh, I'm going to quit my job that is so secure and pays so well to take this other really unstable position that makes no sense and pays nothing. It could Mm -hmm. be all kinds of crazy, you know, I'm going to break up with my partner and make out with this new person. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're, we're taking these big risks and we're doing it either, you know, sort of in the in the blindness of the moment or we're doing it as a, a, a sacrifice to something larger that we believe in that will mm. be there to catch us. Mm-hmm. In our inner worlds, I'm a little bit more interested in the fool. Oh, okay. <laughs> because the fool will show up often when we're taking these big risks outside of ourselves and we're making these moves in life. Um, but... A, also shows up when we have to take risks inside of ourselves, and often I see this with things like maybe we're taking the risk of forgiveness Mm. maybe um, we're taking a risk of ideology maybe there's something we've held on to a belief for so long and we're just gonna go with another one we're gonna try something else out Mm -hmm. Um, you know maybe we're taking a risk in self-belief you know I I never thought of myself as someone who could do these things but what if I sort of haphazardly decided to just imagine myself that way Mm. the big thing with the fool and it's easier to understand outside of ourselves I think than inside of ourselves is we have to give up any sense that we know where we're going Mm -hmm. and that means give up any sense of security Mm -hmm. um any sense of what's known we're going completely into the unknown and the faith that it requires isn't an assurance that things will turn out the way we would like Mm -hmm. and you know outside of us that means that maybe you decide on impulse to move across the country and you don't have any assurance things might go horribly but for some reason it's the move to take Mm -hmm. um inside of ourselves that means that we can't be sure that the risk we're taking with our these things we hold so precious our sense of self our beliefs our senses of the world um we can't be so sure about the ones we have and we can't be so sure that the ones we're taking chances with are the right ones. We just have to go with them and find out. Mm -hmm. And we very, 
we have to be willing to be wrong. Mm-hmm. And I find that that is a, a big theme with the fool. You have to be okay with making the wrong choice because in a way the tarot is outside of morality and it's not telling us what's right or wrong. It's telling us what's necessary. And sometimes making the move is necessary even when it's the wrong move and there's growth that comes from it. And we have to have the faith that eventually it'll turn out right. Mm, yeah. So that's my spiel on the fool. Yeah, no, that's amazing. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, thank you for that. You're um, welcome. <laughs> yeah, do you, any uh, parting thoughts or things to say before the next time in a month? Um, You know, take the risk, I would say. I think the tarot is never a mistake or like it's never just a coincidence. So I think anyone listening to this, you know, there's, the fool is here for you. And wherever you need to take that risk, just it's okay if you don't know where it's going because you'll find out. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks, Eva. All right. Hello. Welcome, both of you. Uh, I'm going to let you take it away and introduce yourself. Um, I'll start. Um, I'm David, David Lewis. I go by David Lewis. My name is David Hall, though. Mm. Um, And I am the founder of ABJ, Allies of Black Justice. And I'm also the um, campaign administrator on Miles Carter's campaign. Nice. Welcome. Thank you. Hello. Greetings, everyone. Um, I go by the name of Kenny A.D. Runaways. Um, That is my stage name. My real name is Kenny Hollins. Um, I'm just a former... uh, a Buffalo resident, uh, born and raised, um, music artist, um, and also upcoming CEO and entrepreneur. Nice. I'm glad you're both here. And yeah, I want you to share your stories and experiences with uh, police in Erie County. So you're actually the first people I'm talking to. I'm going to share my stories in future episodes. And um, yeah, I'm really appreciative of you being here and, and sharing. So yeah, go ahead, Thank David. You. Um, well, I guess uh, to begin, my story is, um, it, well, my big story really starts at the beginning of the George Floyd uh, protests and um, the demonstrations that we were doing outside. The same day George Floyd uh, was murdered, um, I was actually watching the video of his murder about 20 minutes before I was pulled over by the cops. So I was watching this video and then I'm, I'm going down... Um, um, military and I got to military in Kenmore and if you know military in Kenmore it's n- kind of known for having some you know r- racist things going on there um, the cops are kind of like they the cops are known to target people um, especially black men and if you look at the statistics in um, the holding center over in Tondawanda the one on Sheridan um, their arrest rates are it's like 72% of people that they actually arrest and put into that area over there are um black men Mm. so like that same day i was driving down the military and i got to military in kenmore and like i was pulled over by an officer and he said it was because of obstruction of view he went on to pull me out of my car pull my little brother out the car yeah what's obstruction of view obstruction of view was i guess i had um i had a little necklace and this was like uh it was a lace so it was i don't even know how he's seen this but it was hanging on my rear view mirror oh okay so you had something hanging on your rear yeah it was very small very dainty yeah i mean like it was very tiny it's my mom's car right so you can tell it was probably something that she was just throwing on you know just so she could have something mm. and i don't even know how he seen it he was like hey is that obstruction of you he probably seen it coming up to the window but um i was dragged out of my car you know i was 
you know, they, he reached into my car to get me out of my car. Um, you know, and it was only so much recording I could do. Mm-hmm. Um, he asked me if my little brother was an illegal immigrant. Um, he, he's not as dark as me, and he does have features that, you know, he people could mistake him for maybe Puerto Rican, but I, I, he doesn't look like an illegal immigrant, I guess. I don't even know what that would look like and then he um, asked me if I had drugs and guns in the car as well and all those questions just came from me being a target those were all questions that you would ask a target someone who you were looking for that would have these things or would be possibly transferring I guess an illegal immigrant uh, you know through Buffalo and it was like in that moment I felt completely prideless Mm -hmm. as well as um, knowing the statistics that I knew and um, my brother, my older brother, he was um, he was involved in police brutality. They had beat him up really bad one night. Um, uh, my brother, he went out to go drinking with some of his friends. And my brother, he's not known to be like my brother is not a criminal. He's a he's a manager. Mm-hmm. Um, like he takes care of his his um, fiance very, very well. Um, and he's a he's an upstanding citizen. So for him to go out one night, he was drinking with his friends. The cops pulled him over and said that he was, you know, no breathalyzer but just said that he was drunk driving and um, he fought this. He fought this all the way through. Mm. And, um, you know, he, so I have a history of like knowing like people in my life that have been brutalized by police. My brother was brutalized. Right. And you had just watched a video like, right. Right. Of, of these same of things happening. Murdering a black man. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what happened next? Uh, what happened next was like, um, I was complaining about this and I, uh, I seen everyone protesting and, you know, I, I've never been to a protest. Now I've spoken up before and, um, but I've never been to a protest. And so I went to this protest and I was approached by Miles Carter and he was telling me like, um, as I was on the loudspeaker, he was telling me, Hey, everything that you're complaining about on loud, on the blowhorn, um, I'm actually encompassing in my campaign. And his campaign was you know, holding police accountable. That was something that I wanted to focus on was like holding police accountable because over here in Erie County, that's something that we don't do is hold police accountable. We let police, um, I mean, look at Quentin Suttles. Quentin Suttles, like he got pulled over for, I think a, they they thought they smelled weed mm. and <clears throat> this guy had to go to the hospital, not even to the, to the police house where he had to go to the hospital because the, he had a b- broken collarbone and broken scapula. Right. And it was like his eye was puffing out of his socket. And it was like, if you watch the video, this man was on the floor the entire time as well. Like he was also sexually harassed. Mm-hmm. Like they groped him and the, you can see the officer in the video go back after he said that that was, you know, his body part, the officer went back to grab it again. Mm-hmm. And that's where it goes from pride to now. Like I have no other choice. You know, it, it's like you're, you're stuck in a situation like this with a grown man grabbing on you, mm-hmm. regardless of, you know, sexual orientation or whatever the, the background talk might be. It's like, I'm I'm getting molested here in the street in front of people and people are recording me and seeing this and and in our and our culture boys are taught not to talk about these things right. and boys are taught to keep quiet about these things and that's a big issue it's a big issue because police get away with things and are not held accountable right. because of that yeah no thank you for all of that I appreciate you sharing uh, Kenny do you have anything to add um, I would say my experience is it's kind of light compared to what others may go through as far as police brutality. Um, I may have had a, a few uh, crucial moments with the uh, authorities, the police officers, nothing too major. Um, but in the incidents that I was involved in, you know, they really came off more so intimidating or, you know, as if it, it wasn't... Um, how can I say this? 
it, it just wasn't comfortable. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I can just explain like one night, me and me and my friends are playing, you know, just kind of wrestling, kid, you know, teenagers, and you know the, you know, someone calls the police, you know, they end up showing up, and uh, you know, I'm kind of just, he's, I'm, he's asking me, so you know, who are you? Really, really aggressive. Like, you know, who are you? What's your name? I'm telling him my name. I, I'm like. You know, he's like, when's your birthday? I'm like, five, six, nine, six. He's like, your birthday is five, six, nine, six. It's like really, really aggressive, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I, they're just like that to me, you know. Um, I, I think because of my skin color, uh, even though I'm black, I'm more so light-skinned. So, you know, I kind of do, I kind of am, I kind of feel like a more, you know, um, ghost-like or more mm. unseen. Unseen, yeah. Yeah, and so... Um, but compared to others, you know, I, I'm, you know, it's just unfortunate, you know, uh, for the events that occur. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I appreciate both of you for being here and yeah, talking about that. Yeah. I think everyone, that's what I'm trying to show is that everyone is having these different experiences throughout, um, the County and in Buffalo. So appreciate mm -hmm. you for sharing that. David, um, I'm going to let you have the last word. Uh, we're, yeah, just did a good job of sharing a lot, and I appreciate it. Um, I guess my last word would be to like, um, oh geez, I don't know, I don't know. Um, That's okay. Yeah. I, I guess the point of this is to like, you know, we have to focus on holding people accountable, holding police officers accountable, and holding, like you said, e well, I think what Kenny just touched on is holding each other accountable because mm. I think it's not my, it's not my. I had to explain this to the allies because, like I said before, I run Allies of Black Justice. And one thing I had to explain to the allies was it's not my job to teach other white people, and this includes the cops, um, how to be proper allies or how to treat other black people. It's my job to note who the allies are that know how to be proper allies and not shun everyone else for making their mistakes, but allowing them the opportunity to learn and to and to come back in. And I think that says miles for black people who you know who aren't necessarily marginalized as much as darker skinned black people so it says something for lighter skinned black people because it's not our it's not a darker skinned black person's obligation it's not our job to teach you guys that we are targeted more and it's not your job to teach us that you guys are targeted because that's something that we definitely touch on is like people black people not being targeted as much it's our job to teach our neighbors and to teach people who look like us how to go about these situations appropriately mm. as well as it's also our job as being humans to open up the door for these conversations and to have those conversations i'm not telling every black person to go out here and start talking to every racist and trying to change their minds but mm -hmm. when you have things that are you know put into your friends heads like some of my friends were like david why are you going so hard during the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it's like you hate white people, you know, and they, they're white. And saying that is not them being racist towards me. They just don't understand. But also, it's not my job to teach them. Mm -hmm. It's, But it's my job to open up the door for that conversation and to have that conversation with them. And if they're open to learning, then that's how I teach them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, yeah, and I, I'm definitely... Definitely with you on the opening up conversations because, yeah, if we don't talk about it, it just gets pressed down and then gets worse later. So, yeah. Right. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to the Keeping Things Alive podcast. For more information, please visit www.keepingthingsalive.org.